0: You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach.
1: Hello, and thanks for joining our weekly podcast again. As usual, we've got a very interesting lineup of topics to discuss, and we actually have another special guest. Uh, Kane Thornton from the Clean Energy Council. Kane, thanks for joining us. Oh, hi Giles. Hi David. Yeah, and, and David, yes, thanks for the prompt. Um, David Leach from ITK, as usual, um, joins us for the, uh, the weekly wrap. How are you, David?
2: Uh, very well, thanks Giles. And hi Kane, and hi to all the listeners.
1: Indeed. Look, um, we've got a few things to get through. What I'm going to start with is what I think is probably one of the interest, most interesting bits of news um, all year. It's the... Contract for a 70 megawatt solar farm in Queensland, which is not unusual these days because we've seen about 20 of them up in North Queensland over the last few months. it has been an extraordinary investment boom and contract boom going on up there. The interesting thing about this was that the contract was signed by Telstra, possibly one of the biggest consumers of electricity in Australia, and it is looking at solar because it sees it as a way of saving money. Electricity prices are going too high. Most of its bills are based on the wholesale price. They won't tell us exactly how much that is, but certainly uh, they agree that solar will actually reduce the costs. And they expect a big pickup of the corporate power um, PPA market, the um, power purchase agreement market. David, I'm thinking this is really significant. What about you?
2: Yes, I, I think it is. We've only got a start of a developing market in corporate PPAs, but in the United States, as an article in the New York Times this week pointed out, uh, it's it's uh, been going on for some time with a significant portion of the Fortune 500, that is the largest companies in the United States, committing one way or another to renewable energy, even to the extent that uh, the coal states like Virginia and West Virginia, the power companies, utilities in those states, are looking at putting in place special tariffs to to, uh, ensure that wind farms and other renewable sources can be built right in the heart of coal country.
1: Yeah look Cain this has kind of been a bit of the missing link in this market hasn't it what we've seen is a big investment boom over the last couple of months the last six to nine months mainly because the utilities have had to meet their obligations under the renewable energy target but I guess the missing link was the corporate PPA market as David said very active overseas. Some companies are even going for 100% renewables. We're just starting to see it kick off here.
0: Yeah, it's it's been a, a trend at play around the world that we've followed for a while and, uh, and really knew that it was inevitable to, to come uh, to the Australian market. And I expect this announcement from Telstra is the start of many more to come as as these large energy customers um, start to get exposed to the higher wholesale power prices and I think start to form a view that uh, both um, policy makers and indeed uh, in some cases their electricity retailers uh, haven't been doing a great job of managing risk or uh, or setting or bringing in new demand uh, and sorry bringing new supply into the electricity market and therefore uh, are going to take it into their own into their own hands so I think we'll see many more of these sorts of announcements in months and years to come.
2: And Giles, if I could just uh, also add on, it's, we also saw recently in South Australia a buying group of companies getting together to buy, not not to directly sponsor renewable energy, but getting together to buy power. Uh, and we've seen quite a few uh, attempts by corporates to get together in Australia to form buying groups to buy renewable energy. But this is by far one organisation, the most directly contracting to, to, for 70 megawatts. It's you know a far bigger step.
1: Absolutely, yeah. We did, of course, see um, Sun Metals, the zinc producer up in North Queensland, building its own solar farm, 116 megawatts, actually. We've got Sunshine Coast Council doing the same thing, smaller 115 megawatts. We've seen Monash University, 40 megawatt wind or solar farm, see who can deliver the best price down there in Victoria. Kane, how important is this going to be for the future of Australian large-scale wind and solar? Because... That renewable energy target could well be met in six to nine months, although some people are warning that, you know, it might not be. But um, surely the corporate market's going to be a big plank along with those state-based targets, I guess.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And if you look at markets like the US, um, you know, this corporate procurement is an increasingly large part of the overall demand for for utility-scale renewables. And so, you know, I think I think there's a, a massive growth um Opportunity here for the sector as uh, as these as many more of these types of um, big energy users look to uh, to go it alone and, and procure their own form of generation and clearly renewable generation. So yeah, it's obviously a, it's in its very early stages. And as David said, you know some of the uh, there's been various other groups and collections of customers come together. Uh, they're still in their earlier stage, but you know I think in years to come. This is going to be a much bigger part of the of the market and i think help to support uh continued deployment um when you know some of the political and policy environment might uh, might continue to be difficult
1: yeah look i'm just just going to keep on toast just for one little bit more um they did say last year before they sort of snapped up ben burge and um, james geraghty from powershop that they'd like to Compete with the utilities in the home storage and home solar market, and this has been something that some of the um, you know consultants have been talking about, and um, we've seen that at some of the lower levels, telcos and getting um, sort of joining forces with the utilities. Um, but it sounds like they might have been a bit hairy chested because they're backing off now and noticing it's a bit of a crowded market. Charles,
2: um, there's a couple of other, there's a couple of points to make about that. that that'd that be very ironic in a way because it was only a few years ago that we saw uh, AGL in particular trying to get into the telcos business uh, and uh, with Blue Dingo, for instance, and they found they were a complete failure at it. What we find is there's distinct markets and you need a lot of expertise, you know, anyone even CSR, which is trying to sell uh, solar panels through its Bradford, Bradford Roofing Group, they've they've at least got some skills in the area. But I would thought I would have thought Telstra's ability to market that would be pretty close to zero. And one other point that's worth making is that you know in a way the big energy retailers Origin and AGL have sort of got no one but themselves to blame for this. They went out there and said we've put in place they, they had a bit of a buyer strike on on renewable energy credits. And said, well, we're going to look after our small households and have enough inventory for that. But, the, you know, the big corporate guys, they'll have to look after themselves. Well, guess what? They are. Yes,
1: indeed. Um, let's go straight through then to the next topic of conversation, which is about the next policy. Because, Kane, what are you looking for? I mean, look, we can talk about the Finkel review. What are you looking for as a replacement for or, or as a boost to the 2020 target? That's going to run out pretty soon what should come next? A national auction scheme? Do we have an emissions intensity scheme? Do we need to extend the renewable energy target? Do we rely on what the states are doing in Victoria and Queensland and Northern Territory and elsewhere? What's What's the top of your list?
0: Yeah, I mean, our, our preference is obviously still for a, a strong, enduring uh, federal policy. And so that's certainly uh, where we're focused. And certainly, as you said, hoping uh, that the Finkel review might provide us a pathway forward Um, you know I mean obviously there's a a range of of options to do that and I mean acknowledging that renewables have come down in cost considerably and are much more competitive uh, today and indeed um, I continue to put forward the the lowest cost form of any new generation uh, to be built in this country at the same time indeed um, wholesale power prices have have increased uh, at least recently now where wholesale power prices get to in the future is really the big uncertainty and uh, clearly if they stayed at the sort of levels they're at now then um, we could expect that new renewable energy projects um, could continue to come online given um, the cost of new renewable projects relative to those wholesale prices but Mm. we really don't know what wholesale prices will do out you know over the 10 or 15 year period uh, during which you need certainty for these sorts of renewable projects. And so, you know, I guess, obviously, yeah. um, there's options on the, the carbon side, and um, things like an EIS um, could provide that sort of certainty and, and comfort into the longer term. Um, clearly, the, the federal government's ruled uh, ruled that out. And I think, you know, there's obviously a lot of Uh, whiteboarding going on at the moment about what the other options are I mean obviously the renewable energy target is there it's proven very effective Um, the architecture has broadly worked well it has it's a lot of preference though
1: for auctions going forward
0: yeah that's right so uh, you know auctions have obviously worked very well Uh, they've got their pros and cons relative to things like a renewable energy target Um, You know, obviously they're in place with with, um, the ACT and now uh, Victoria and Queensland and industry is very comfortable with them, indeed they've worked very well around the world. Uh, David, um, I'm just going to butt in there, thanks Kane. David,
1: what's your take on this? Um, You've been having a bit of a think about the emissions intensity scheme this week.
2: I was thinking so hard about it, I never got round to writing anything, unfortunately, Giles, But uh, maybe that'll come. I, I was interested. So, I, I, Kane, d- d- does the um, Clean Energy Council actually? You don't have an official policy position on this at the moment, as to what you'd like to see come next.
0: No, I mean, I think we're we're increasingly pragmatic and given what we've seen uh, in the political environment over the last decade, I think one needs to be. Um, I said, I, th- I think there's a bunch of policies that could do the job if they're well designed. Um, that could be an EIS, uh, clearly an increased extended RET could, could and would do the job, but equally, uh, you know, reverse options have worked well. Uh, and indeed, now there's some discussion and speculation about a low emissions target. So you know, I think at the end of the day, any of these policies could do the job we need it to, which is to bring on new some of, investment. Some of these, Sorry. yeah, and we, and we keep on talking about new investment. Sorry, there, David, I'm just
1: gonna throw straight back to you because we talk about new investment in this investment drought. Well, clearly we're not having an investment drought at the moment in renewables. So the investment drought must be happening in new thermal generation, which is coal or gas. But David, do we actually need much of either, given where we're heading? And what we've well, already got, quite frankly.
2: Well, electricity demand's not not growing at the moment, but it could grow with the right policies. There are things that, like data centres that, that consume tremendous amounts of electricity that could replace aluminium smelters in, in the world of the future. There are electric vehicles. It's, it's perfectly possible for, for us, Australia, to increase electricity demand in a sustainable way. But at the moment, with flat demand, it's a question of forcing out the high emissions generation, which is brown coal in the first instance, and forcing in new generation so the the um, tools that are available for that are an eis or they're the lret or they're reverse auctions or there's some combination of those and you know uh, with friedenberg coming out and explicitly ruling out uh, uh, an eis but there still may be a way to get around that with what the industry's previously called a, a, an lis whereby you you can even even something like gas can get some kind of renewable credit because it's lower emission than than coal and you can have a price within the sector but for myself would that,
1: would, that would that be designed though to actually keep the gas generation that we've got online or to actually encourage new investment in gas generation because i'm not convinced we actually need that
2: would certainly be a free kick for the existing gas generation which is why why you see companies like origin uh, falling over themselves to to get on board with that uh, look, I, I think we need more renewables. We need, I think, a re- you know, the federal government policy will be aimed around the 28% uh, reduction in emissions. When you look at it, we've, that's about 40 or 50 million tonnes uh, of carbon from electricity, its share, call it 40. We've actually already got about 14 or 15, if you take the net of reducing hazelwood and the uh, four and a half gigawatts of new... Uh, wind and solar that's under construction or including Hornsdale. So that's effectively zero emissions. So you can take Hazelwood right out. So we need about another 25 or 30 to get to 28% reduction. But I'm not going to invest in a gas plant for that, because what I can see coming down the track is that we're, a need to get to 50% and 80% reduction realistically, uh, and, and the risks of it, you know, you're just going to have to put a higher cost of capital on all this gas and coal, particularly coal. Uh, because all you see is is downside risk to investing in that Mm. at the moment. Yeah, and
1: Kane, just keeping on this for a bit, I mean, look, I understand why you're reasonably relaxed about the policy options because you're probably thinking that renewable energy will win out whatever the dice is, whoever the dice are thrown. But I guess what worries me is that we do get some unnecessary incentives for capacity that we don't really need and really we probably want to be thinking about the energy market and what it's going to look like in 10 or 20 years time and if you talk to the new chief executive of AEMO we're talking about and and even the CSIRO report and the networks report we're talking about a very different market we're talking about decentralized generation we're talking about battery storage those are the things I think we need to get to and hopefully we get some of that out of the Finkel review is it next week or the week after?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. And I mean, you're right. Look, I, I sort of think that the race has been ran and won as far as uh, which are the technologies of the of the future. The reality is that it's really hard to see how you design any new policy uh, that didn't deliver a lot more wind and solar, for example, because clear, clearly they're the lowest cost form of new technology and they're the technologies that private investors are putting uh, their hard-earned money into. So I think that's, that's right. definitely and, the, Sorry, uh, And uh, Yeah, sorry, I'm,
1: I'm ready to interrupt yet again. Um, we do actually have a time constraint today. I guess the issue is we get more technology and we've got to make sure that the system is right, and we're seeing the South Australian government struggle with this. They've got this energy security target, which actually I think sounds like a really nice idea, trying to make sure that renewable energy is paired up with dispatchable generation. But the kind, the way they have framed it, it seems to exclude it at this stage battery storage um
2: so so giles you know this is the energy trilemma right security decarbonize at efficient price and kane and everyone else is completely right when they say that the levelized cost of electricity of, of wind and solar is lower that probably certainly lower than coal and probably lower than gas as well but we do have to fit uh factor in this cost of balancing so what you're going to get back to is security. Every time the uh, people who don't like renewables or worry about it or don't understand it, they're going to say, "Yes, wind is fine, but what happens when the wind doesn't blow and the solar is only going to come in the middle of the day?" And, and and these things like the duck curves, these are real issues. So I personally think oh, this is the cutting point are. of the debate. We we've got to get to this point of showing how higher penetration of renewables, and it's not very high in Australia. If we back out the hydro, it's only about you know eight or nine percent, which is trivial really still. But we've got to show how we can get it to 30 or 40% and, and, and keep the energy uh, system secure and, and, and run an aluminium smelter, if you like. That That's where the debate is really at right now.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. And I think, you know, we look at this from the perspective of we've got the technologies and the solutions and um, be it a modern wind farm or a rooftop solar system. These are highly sophisticated pieces of 21st century technology. They've got a whole lot of capability and Uh, functionality that frankly we haven't been using and utilizing very well and my hope for the Finkel review and I think the uh, the approach that the chief scientist has taken is to say what do we need to do so that we can better leverage uh, the capability of these technologies in a very different way to, to what we did in the 20th century so that we can ensure energy security and have more wind have more solar have uh, battery storage, all of it interconnected around the country uh, together to make sure actually we end up with a more reliable and more resilient energy system. So high expectations of the, the Finkel review next, uh, next Friday afternoon. Well, I'm really hoping that's going to be
1: right. I, mean, I guess my fear with some of these things and the way some of the discussions have come, and David, you're absolutely right, um, we do need the sort of security and the reliability, but I guess it's a question of the technologies we use to do that. Now, either we fall into the old thinking of, you know, oh, for every bit of wind and solar, we need a bit of back- fossil fuel backup, or we move forward and think, well, there's other ways of doing this. Um, the battery storage might not be able to produce real inertia, but do you actually need it? And it's interesting, Kane's organisation produced a paper thinking about that last week. Uh, there's lots of different alternatives and that's what i really hope that finkel is able to throw forward the discussion and not have it buried in the past
2: so i think batteries are part of the answer i I certainly do think that probably right at the center of the load but there is going to be uh, there's always in every model that looks at very high renewables percentage there's always a slice of uh, supply that has to come from uh, uh, some kind of centralized utility whether it's bioenergy or uh, concentrating solar or the new old kid on the block, which is pumped hydro. So I, you know, this is where I just suppose if we give Turnbull some credit, uh, seeing if we can get some pumped hydro up. Snowy, Snowy Two may be a difficult one, but I, I think we should be, you know, starting to look. I'm hoping Arena can do some more in this area to get some of these projects up and start working on, you know, that what not so much the missing piece of the puzzle, but the puzzle piece that has to be proved out. What's the most efficient and effective combination of technologies to do that?
1: Yeah. Look, um, there was another interesting piece of um, in news this week, um, something we just wrote on today. That was Endeavour Energy, the big New South Wales network, talking about microgrids. And look, it wasn't so much that they're calling for a tender for a, um, a microgrid in a new development when all the houses would have solar and they'd have centralised battery storage. It was kind of what they were just talking about, the ownership of networks. And it's really quite funny. They actually talked about a 360 degree turn, and I think there must have been a 180 degree turn um, in ownership of networks or the control of networks back to. Uh, councils like as they were um, a long time ago and businesses and communities which kind of lends us to sort of push that push that down the track
0: towards these um, decentralized grid. Um, Kane, do you got any thoughts on this? Yeah it's a really interesting uh, area of development at the moment I I mean I think the reality is that uh, householders communities um, are all looking at local governments are all looking at ways that they can Uh, take control of their power they want to generate their own power they want to share it amongst themselves and obviously the role of the network changes uh, fairly radically in that and therefore uh, how networks are uh, regulated how they're managed even how they're owned is, is a really interesting question we've seen that in new uh, in new property developments most um, most obviously uh, where there's big questions about how how the network works how it's regulated and, and owned and I think we're just going to see more and more of this sort of discussion I think the smart progressive network businesses are thinking very carefully um, about this and and how they can play an active role in it rather than uh, rather than slow it down and, and stop it
1: mm, mm. David I um...
0: We're going to have to reveal something about
1: the way we do this podcast. Um, on Friday morning, and we re- we're recording this before Friday morning, uh, Donald Trump is due to make his big announcement about Paris. Uh, we're all expecting him to um, probably take America out of it. Even if he stays, he's probably not going to be a very constructive player.
2: Does it really matter? it doesn't it doesn't it's always nice to have the more people you've got on board uh the better it is you know if i could be harsh and political for a moment we saw tony abbott here in australia trying to wreck and still trying to wreck anything to do with renewable energy Uh, and it wasn't very effective in the end the world is set more or less on a course it's not going to be as shakespeare said the course of true renewables never did run smooth uh (laughs) Uh, and, and And there'd be a lot of ups and downs, but you've got California, you've got Texas, you've got what the corporate market wants, uh, but you've got what the rest of the world wants. There's only going to be a limited amount of damage Trump can do, but you know uh, do that damage he will. Yeah, Kane, have you got a take on that?
0: Yeah, look, look, very much agree with David. I think um, as has occurred here in Australia historically when our uh, national government um, uh, slows down or gets in the way, the states and territories will step in. I think we'll see that in the US. But I think even more than that, you know, uh, investors have already spoken, um, you know, and and large companies who are building new power stations in the US, uh, you know... they're not going to change direction just because there's a new ideology in town. It will slow things down and frustrate it, but there's now momentum on all this that can't be stopped.
1: Indeed. Well, look, um, thank you very much. Sorry, go ahead, David.
2: I was just going to say, we also seen that with Adani, right? I mean, one of the many problems with getting the Carmichael coal up that the Adani group faces is that there's no banks want to finance it. And we're seeing more and more big investors taking stronger and stronger positions. I was only speaking with a senior fund manager today who's saying that they're starting to take climate change and risk in, in, into a, more seriously every year into all of their decisions. And, uh, you know... Uh, that's, that's, that's the reality that politics won't be able to overcome.
1: Yeah, look, we've actually seen this. I'm just going to touch on this one more before I sort of wrap up for the day. Um, Mount Isa, um, it was interesting seeing Glencore talking about closing down Mount Isa, possibly because the um, energy costs are too high. And we go back six years ago and they actually had a choice of, of taking gas or um, helping fund a big new um, transmission line called the Copper String, which would have brought n- renewable energy projects um, and renewable energy into Mount Isa. And they went with what they thought was the safe target, sort of um, backed by some rather benign forecasts of gas and some rather sort of depressing forecasts of um, renewables. And um, basically they've been proved wrong. The um, What they're probably paying for gas now is three or four times what they've expected. It's a little wonder they're... Um, they're creaking under pressure and uh, maybe they should follow in the footsteps of Tet- of telstra and uh, some metals and build their own solar farm
2: well, i think they've got a bit of a short-term actually gas contract that covers for a while i'd have to go back and look at the details and, and talk to apa about it uh, again but but in the long run that's exactly right yeah
1: in the next couple of weeks um it's going to be an interesting one um we've got the finkel review coming up in two weeks i think we've got some new um Statement of opportunities coming from. Um, I'm going to say goodbye to you right now, David. <laughs> Bye, Charles. Is that you? Thank you. Bye. Talk to you next week. That was David Leach from ITK. Uh, Kane, I'm just going to hold you for a little bit longer and ask you about your annual report that you released this week. It was actually pretty interesting stuff and some some fantastic graphics and some fantastic information about the cost of technologies and the take up and, and where it's been done. What are some of the other aspects that um that even surprised you, I guess. I mean, you're right in the heart of the business.
0: Yes, thanks, Giles. It's um, it's our annual snapshot that we release about this time every year. And it really tells the story of an industry that's recovered from a pretty challenging sort of period in the 2014-15 era. Um, it, you know, it tells the story of about uh, 10 large scale projects uh, completed throughout the course of 2016. But the real story, it, paints is an industry seriously on the move and you know right now we know halfway into 2017 uh, we've got over Mm -hmm. seven and a half billion dollars worth of large-scale projects that have been committed uh, and are now either under construction or heading to construction so you know I think that's really the 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 really exciting part of this and it it sort of gives me goosebumps to think of uh, what this sector will look like and deliver throughout the course of uh, of two thousand and seventeen, and you know, even if you look at employment numbers, they were they were pretty pretty flat back in uh, through the course of two thousand and sixteen, but we know. There's literally thousands of people being employed today to uh, to start the construction of these large-scale solar and wind projects. So really, really interesting time for oh, the industry. No,
1: that's great. And, and, and I just noticed there was a, um, a report from the International Renewable Energy Agency, which talked about nine nine point eight million jobs globally in the renewable energy in energy industry. It's, it's extraordinary. Do you think you go to Canberra quite a lot? Do you think this sort of message is getting through?
0: Uh, in, in fact, we we uh, launched this report in ah in our at our parliamentary reception just a, a couple of days ago. So I, I think it is. I think people, uh, once upon a time, were sceptical about the sector, or indeed saw it as a very small niche industry. And I think it's now getting noticed as uh, mainstream, employing real people right around the country, and, and attracting investment from major. Uh, big international and national players so you know i I think that part of it's certainly being noticed by by people who count
1: oh well good for you so kane thornton from the clean energy council thank you very much for joining us thanks very much charles and thanks for listening we'll be back next week Bye bye